looking at Genesis chapter 16, the whole chapter, and we're going to look at the birth of Ishmael. Last week, the promise of God to Abraham of great blessings in Abraham and his seed was reiterated in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 5, where the word of the Lord took him outside and said to him, Look now toward heaven and tell or count the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. In the first instance, that promise was seen to have had a fulfilment in the natural descendants of Abraham. The Israelites, they were delivered from their afflictions in Egypt and after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they took possession of Canaan, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Furthermore, the promise of worldwide blessings has a spiritual dimension, and this is what is of particular interest, interest to us now, the spiritual dimension of the promise. It was seen in the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Galatians, that the Lord Jesus Christ is Abraham's seed and that there is an ongoing fulfilment of the promise of blessings for all who are baptised in Christ, all who have put on Christ as repentant sinners, trusting him as their saviour from sin and their Lord. They are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, Uh, according to the promise of God that was delivered to Abraham about 2,000 years before the seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, came into the world. This evening, not only are we moving on to the next chapter, chapter 16, but also we're moving on 10 years, I'd say 10 long years, since Abraham first received the promise. You see, He first received it in Genesis chapter 12 when the Lord took Abraham out of the land, uh, uh, out of um, the Ur of the Chaldees rather, out of his father's house and took him, didn't even tell Abraham where he was going. He just led him to the land of Canaan uh, with that promise that in him and his seed all families of the earth would be blessed. But as I say, 10 years had passed by since that promise was first delivered. And the thing is, by uh, by this time, by the time we get to um, chapter 16 here, Abraham was 85 years old. His wife Sarai was 75 years old. And they had no child. It's worth bearing that in mind. First of all, we can consider Sarai's ill-conceived plan. Look again at verses 1 to 3 in chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, a slave, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abraham, Behold now, the Lord have restrained me from bearing, I pray thee, Go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice 
of Sarai. And Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife. You know, it's amazing to think, even in a, a, a solid marriage relationship, there can be a breakdown in communication. And I might be wrong here, but I suspect that most of the time it's the husbands who are guilty of not communicating to their wife. I know that I get caught out quite often. I'm told something, uh, I forget to... Well, that's just it, I've said it there. I don't pass it on to my wife, Pauline. Quite simply, I forget. And it's not just the little things either. It can be big things. I, I'll just forget uh, to, to tell her. And she finds out in the end. Um, but I'm the one who's forgotten to tell her. These things happen, and perhaps the... Um, Married people here, particularly their husbands, know what I'm talking about. Having said that, it's inconceivable, I'd say it's inconceivable that Abraham forgot to mention to his wife, Sarai, or simply chose not to tell her about the promise that the Lord had made to him, not just on one occasion, but two that we know of of in, in chapter 12, then again in chapter 15, that promise of God that in him and his seed there would be worldwide blessings. I, I really don't imagine that that is something that he would have forgotten to, to, to pass on to his wife Sarai. I say that because what happened, what we're seeing here in chapter 16 is that Sarai, she devised an ill-fated plan for Abraham to have children by her handmaid, her slave, Hagar. Presumably, Sarai concocted that plan because she had in mind God's promise of blessings to all the families of the earth in her husband Abraham and his seed. And there they were, not just getting old, they were old. She was barren, she wasn't able to have children, and I, I, it seems reasonable that she had the promise of God in mind when she devised that plan for Abraham to go in unto her, her slave girl, Hagar. As for Abraham's part in that scheme, since it was Sarai's idea for her 85-year-old husband to go in unto Hagar, in other words, to have sexual intercourse with her, he can hardly be accused of instigating it through lust. It was Sarai's idea, after all. However, none of what I've said excuses either of them for profaning the sanctity of marriage. When the Lord God instituted marriage way back in Adam and Eve's time, he made them one flesh. However, Sarai's ill-conceived plan resulted in the corruption of her marriage relationship with her husband. As for Abraham, well, he could have said no to his wife, couldn't he? When she came up with that plan, he could have said no to her, but he didn't. Instead, he yielded to the counsel of his wife and he committed adultery with Sarai's handmaid. Secondly, 
Hagar became pregnant and she fled from her mistress. Look at verses 4 through to 6. And he went in unto Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. (coughs) And Sarai said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abraham said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. As a natural consequence of Abraham going in unto Hagar, she became, she conceived, she became pregnant, and her attitude towards her mistress changed. She was now carrying Abraham's child, and so she dared to hold her mistress, Sarai, in contempt. As can be seen in verse 4, Sarai was despised in her eyes. However, I want to keep the spotlight on Sarai rather than Hagar. Sarai, who, having counselled Abraham to obtain children by Hagar in verse 2, reacted to being despised by Hagar by saying to her husband, My wrong be upon thee. See that in verse 5 there. Sarai said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. In other words, Sarai was saying to him, May the injury done to me return upon thee. That sounds like she regretted what had happened and now, now she was piling all the blame on Abraham, who admittedly was not entirely innocent. Then Sarai said to Abraham, The Lord judge between me and thee. To me that sounds rich, considering Sarai was the one who conceived this whole um, plan. The Lord judge between me and thee. David once said that he was being pursued by King Saul. King Saul seemed to take every opportunity he could to throw his spear in David's direction. King Saul wanted to kill David. And David said to the king, The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. David said those words in very different circumstances to what we have before us in Genesis chapter 16. At the time when David said, The Lord judge between me and thee, he was alone with King Saul in a cave. David could have very easily killed the king, but he didn't. Even though the king wanted David dead, it was David's opportunity to kill that king who wanted him dead. Instead of killing the king by saying, the Lord judge between me and thee, he demonstrated that he was not prepared to kill the Lord's anointed, King Saul. Instead, he committed himself and Saul to the righteous judgment of God. However, in Sarai's case, what she said was an improper use of the name of the Lord when she said, the Lord judge between me and thee. 
And it was very reckless of her when you appreciate that she was in effect calling the judgment of God upon herself. Since she was far from innocent in what had happened, we do well, each one of us here, we do well to understand that the Lord is a consuming fire. We do well to take care not to make improper use of the his holy name. Abraham's response to what appears to be an outburst of anger towards him from his wife Sarai was to say to her, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. See that there in verse 6. That was a very brief response from Abraham and it appears that he remained calm when he said that. He didn't enter into an argument with his wife, but having said that, his short reply was astonishing when you consider that his child was in Hagar's womb and all he could say to Sarai was, do to her as it pleaseth thee. When you consider the aftermath of the handmaid Hagar becoming pregnant, that she was dis- that she despised her mistress Sarai, then there was that angry outburst from Sarai as she shifted all the blame onto Abraham and she improperly invoked the name of the Lord. Also, she afflicted her pregnant handmaid, Hagar, so much so that Hagar fled from her presence into the wilderness. As for Abraham, he distanced himself from his unborn child and the mother of his child. Apart from anything else, it goes to show that when an enterprise is embarked upon that is not in accordance with the word of God, which in the case of Abraham and Sarai resulted in their disregard for the sanctity of marriage, the conduct of those who enter into those sinful enterprises will inevitably be completely unreasonable and they will be insensible to the consequences. That is what happens when we do something that contradicts, contravenes, violates the word of God. We become unreasonable and insensible to the consequences. Thirdly, Hagar was spoken to by an angel of the Lord. When Hagar fled from her mistress Sarai into the wilderness, the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. Also the Lord said to Hagar, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly. That multiplication, it can be seen in Genesis chapter 25, verses 12 to 16, where the descendants of Hagar's son Ishmael numbered 12 princes according to their nations. As for Hagar's yet to be, yet to be born son Ishmael, have a look what it says in chapter 16 and verse 12. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. I think there's a warning for all of us who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. For one thing, we ought to take very special care 
not to take matters into our own hands like Sarai did when she encouraged the commission of sin. I was trying to find another word, but I couldn't think of any other word. She encouraged the commission of sin, the sin of adultery, in order to expedite what God had promised Abraham. Far better to seek God's grace to patiently and wholly lean on his infallible word and trust in him to fulfil what he has promised in his way, no matter how long it takes. As it is written in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. I don't really think so, I was doing that. But also we ought to take care not to be lured into sinful behaviour by others, including our nearest and our dearest and even the godliest of them, as Adam was led astray by his dear wife Sarai. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Therefore, rather than follow your deceitful heart, now get this, you probably know that verse that I just said, the heart is deceitful above all things. Don't think so much that your heart deceives others, your heart deceives you. you de- that's the dangerous thing about it all. You are deceived, Very, you and I can be very easily deceived by our own heart, our own heart which is desperately wicked. Therefore, rather than follow your deceitful heart, pray for a discerning mind as you scrutinise every proposition or plan of action that you come up with or that is proposed to you by someone else and do so under the light of God's infallible word. It is somewhat different here. What I'm saying about Abraham and Sarai, they were in the world 500 years before God's law was written on tables of stone. 500 years before that commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Even so, God writes the work of his laws in our hearts. No excuse whether it was before uh, Moses going up Mount Sinai, receiving the law from God, or and certainly no excuse now, where we have God's law not only written in our hearts, our our deceitful hearts, but also we have God's law written very clearly in our Bible. In the case of Abraham and Sarai, both of them truly believed the promise of God. There's no reason to 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 think that they didn't believe God. They didn't that they didn't believe the promise of God of great blessings in Abraham and his seed. I say that because we know from chapter 15 and verse 6 that Abraham believed in the Lord and he counted it to him, the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. That was his righteousness before God, that he believed in the Lord. Even the use of a slave girl to produce a son for Abraham speaks of their faith in God and of his promise of blessings in Abraham and his seed. However, what they did was not of the spirit of God. It was of the flesh and it was wrong. 
in chapter 21, verses 1 to 3. I'm going to just turn to that. Let's we'll see God's plan, not Sarai's plan or, and the plan that Abraham agreed to, but God's plan here. I don't want to spend too much time on this because we will be coming to it, God willing, in a few weeks' time. But just look at chapter 21, verses 1 to 3. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah, Sarah rather, Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. See, Sarah, not Hagar, the handmaid, Sarah, when she was 90 years old. And Abraham was a 100. And God delivered on his promise. As can be seen in these verses, even though the devices of man's heart are many, the counsel of the Lord will prevail. We see the uh, the devices of man's heart in chapter 16 with Sarai and her, her, her madcap plan there, or whatever you want to call it. Abraham consenting to that plan and all the aftermath of it. However, the counsel of the Lord prevailed. Abraham's seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, would not be a descendant of Ishmael in accordance with God's perfect plan, not an ill-conceived plan, but a perfect plan, Sarah would in God's perfect time and um, con- conceive and bring forth a son named Isaac. And Abraham's seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be a descendant of Isaac and not Ishmael. Finally, Unreasonable and insensible to the consequences, I mentioned that earlier, that describes the majority of people in the world, in that most people, what do they do? They make plans for themselves each and every day, they make plans to do this, that and the other, all without a thought for God. And they they just go full steam ahead, doing whatever they see fit to do, whatever they want to do with no thought for God, no thought for his infallible word, and the consequences are catastrophic. How so? How are the consequences catastrophic of living your life outside of the will of God, not seeking to discern his will? Well, what Abraham and Sarai did was not something to be commended, was it? Even so, both of them did have a genuine faith in God. Consequently, the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, would in time to come pay the price for all of their sins, all the sins that Abraham and his wife Sarah would ever commit. Whether their sins were committed willfully or in ignorance. And that applies equally to all of you in here who are trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, though it pains you and it weighs heavy on your heart that you sin against the God of your salvation. You rejoice, 
You thank God that you are accepted by him in his beloved son who loved you and who gave himself for you at the cross where he bare away all your sins. He having lived a life of perfect obedience to God, sinless obedience on your behalf. And you know, as well as I do, even as Christians, it's not just Sarah and Abraham, as they were called then. Sarah and Abraham, they were far from perfect, even though they trusted in God. They did things wrong. And you, if you're a Christian, you do things wrong. We all do, each and every day. Everything that you think, say and do is stained through with sin. But you are accepted in the Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is pleased to accept your feeble efforts, you know, like a little child handing a piece of scribble to Dad. Look at my... And, and Dad admires that work of art. Well, that's you in, uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You come to God accepted in Jesus. However, let me be very clear about something as we finish. The consequences for leaving this world having never trusted in Jesus, trusting in him as a repentant sinner, are truly catastrophic, eternally catastrophic. When Jesus comes in judgment on the last day, you will be cast into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Therefore, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If that is you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen.